0: The FT. Hello and welcome back to FT Science with me, Andrew Jack. On the show this week, a major new exhibition by the Wellcome Trust, Dirt, the Filthy Reality of Everyday Life. Household dirt is
1: really mainly microbes that have come from the human body. We shed about 10 or 20 grams of skin per day. This is a defence mechanism from the human body. We get
0: rid of bugs attached to our surface. And ahead of World TB Day on Thursday, we consider some of the enduring problems of tackling the disease.
3: My message here is that we need to integrate TB and HIV in maternal health package because most of the maternal health are also due to HIV and TB. And if we just talk about maternal health without hitting on TB and HIV, I think we are losing focus.
0: But we start the show with our regular contribution from the BMJ. This week, Duncan Jarvis reports on the tricks companies use to obfuscate risk with numbers. Over to you, Duncan.
2: Thanks, Andrew. Things seem to be under control in the Fukushima nuclear power plants, but on Friday anyway, the fear of escape of radiation was still foremost in the doctors' minds.
0: Now our major concern is the potential hazard of the nuclear power plants.
2: Ryuki Kasai, Director of Community and Family Medicine at Fukushima Medical University.
0: And even though my medical center has well-trained specialists of nuclear medicine, but we still don't know exactly what we should prepare for and also how to give this information to the people in the communities.
2: Fear of radiation is rife. Table salt is selling out in China as the erroneous belief spreads that it will protect against exposure. In the US and UK, news media have been full of analogies to try and quantify the risk of exposure and comparisons to x-rays and CT scans, but how useful are these? In a situation like Japan, where things are so unstable and we don't even know you know, how much radiation is coming out, um, how much exposure there is with wind blowing and so on, I think it's really difficult to know. So it, as a consequence, it's really hard to use these analogies to give people a sense of how much exposure they're getting. While people may understand the amount of radiation, this question about how much that translates to in terms of increase in the chance of having cancer or something bad happen to you, there's certainly a lot less clear science there about, you know, your chance of getting sick now or your chance of getting sick in the future and how much is this going to change it. Stephen Woolishin and Lisa Schwartz there, authors of Know Your Chances, how to see through the hype in medical news, ads and public service announcements. The fear of radiation is more compelling than the fear of lack of fuel or water, but in real terms, for the people of Japan, it's less damaging. Back to you, Andrew. Thanks, Duncan. So from
0: fear of radiation to fear of bugs in everyday life, the topic of a new exhibition by the Wellcome Trust called DIRT, the Filthy Reality of Everyday Life. I'm joined in the studio by one of the scientists that the Trust consulted when putting this exhibition together, Professor Mike Wilson, head of the Microbiology Unit at UCL in London. Any thoughts coming perhaps out of that previous clip from the BMJ just about society's perception of risk around dirt and the idea of hygiene and how people maybe misinterpret the dangers of bacteria? Well, certainly
1: my initial thought is you know, whenever society breaks down, you have problems with water purification, contamination of water supplies. So one can imagine that what's going to happen sadly, is some kind of, you know, outbreak of some gastrointestinal disease, you know, which is really of great concern. Trying to get sort of fresh water to these
0: people in these dire circumstances is going to be very, very difficult. And thinking about this exhibition now at the Wellcome Trust, is looks at dirt through the ages and the whole perceptions of hygiene and how they've evolved. What's your contribution been to that? As a microbiologist,
1: I have different views of dirt. I mean, there are different classes of dirt. I would regard dirt to be categorized in about five main categories. One would be household dirt. One would be faeces and bodily excretions and bodily fluids. Thirdly, the environmental dirt, for example, soil. And then we would have sewage as, you know, really grossly contaminated. And then industrial effluents. So these are all what I would view as dirt, but they all have a different microbial component. And it's interesting to go through those, thinking in terms of what threat or what danger to each of those pose. And what my role in the exhibition is, is to examine some of these things and to try and educate people about what risks there are to these different types of dirt. And the one that most people would come across would be household dirt. And it's interesting that household dirt is really mainly microbes that have come from the human body. We shed about 10 or 20 grams of skin per day. This is a defence mechanism from the human body. We get rid of bugs uh, attached to our surface. But these are shed. And so the greatest risk is you know, picking up some of these bacteria that are present on skin squams, but also respiratory droplets that we, every time we breathe, every time we exhale, every time we sneeze, we're um, producing microbes that will settle in the environment. So Getting the idea of what kind of risk these pose is quite interesting. But also what I want to get over in this exhibition is that not all microbes are dangerous. And it's a very, very important concept. And it's something that, you know, in our hygiene-obsessed world, children are being brought up with the concept that every bug is a bad bug. Now, it's estimated, a conservative estimate is that there are about 100,000 species of bacteria on this planet, probably about 10 million, but only about 100 actually cause disease. The rest of them are, are either indifferent to us or are very beneficial to us. And basically, a human being is a microbe mammalian symbiosis in which the microbes outnumber mammalian cells by 10 to 1. And most of these microbes are there for our benefit, We have co-evolved so that many of these microbes actually do us good. They supply energy, they fight off the bad bugs, they provide vitamins, they detoxify wastes in our intestinal tract. So many of them
0: are very, very beneficial. What's your sense about uh, then this sort of modern obsession with hygiene and cleanliness? Are Are we too obsessed with cleanliness? Are we actually doing ourselves harm potentially? In the West, we're probably too obsessed. I would
1: never, ever countenance doing away with basic hygiene measures. They're very, very important and terrific advances in benefits to society by having basic hygiene measures. But, you know, these ridiculous ideas that incorporating antiseptics into sandwich bags or you know breadboards is really really a bad idea and it's positively sort of dangerous in fact
0: potentially contributing to allergies and other forms of asthma and uh, problems like this certainly
1: but also you know contributing directly to the spread of antibiotic resistant bacteria because bacteria develop resistance to these antiseptics like triclosan and once they develop resistance to these antiseptics the resistance determinants go onto a transposon or a piece of DNA that can be transferred to other bacteria. And these mobile genetic elements can often also have antibiotic resistance determinants on them. So if you have an environment where you've got lots of antiseptics, then you will also
0: encourage the spread of antibiotic resistance genes. And help us visualise a little bit your contribution to this uh, Wellcome Trust exhibition. To encourage people to do swabs and look at uh, infection and microbes present. That's right, yeah. Room.
1: We want to get this, you know, the visitors involved in the exhibition. So what we're going to do is get the um, visitors uh, swabbing parts of this sort of Welcome Trust building and then finding out what bacteria are present there. So we'll actually do experiments to find out what bacteria are there. And also we have microscopes so they'll be able to see the bacteria and the kinds of bacteria that are present in the environment and the kinds of bacteria that are present
0: on us and then get into the environment. Great. Well, Mike, uh, thanks very much. And the exhibition DIRT opens at the Wellcome Trust this week. Let's move now on to our final topic for the day, tuberculosis. World TB Day is on Thursday this week. And it's the disease, of course, that affects an enormous number of people around the world, still killing not far off two million a year. This morning, I was able to speak to Tokozile Nkoma, one of the speakers on an advocacy tour here in the UK, a patient advocate from Malawi. She's formed a civil society coalition championing TB at the national level and she's also a community representative on the Stop TB Partnership working group on new tools and diagnostics. I asked her the basic message that she's bringing here in the UK and what needs to be done on tuberculosis.
3: Mainly, it's looking at the integration of TB and HIV in the maternal health package. I've heard that there's a maternal health package, like a strategy that a framework rather that is being proposed, but then there's nothing like indicators or strategies that are highlighting integration of TB and HIV in the framework. So my message here is that we need to integrate TB and HIV in maternal health package because most of the maternal health are also due to HIV and TB. And if we just talk about maternal health without hitting on TB and HIV, I think we are losing focus. That's a main message.
0: Talking a little bit now just in terms of the development in the TB field in the last few years, some of the figures seem to suggest that at least the basic drug sensitive TB is actually starting to be uh, mastered. there's been quite a lot of progress at least until recently a big upsurge in funding. So are you fairly optimistic about progress or are you pretty impatient about more that needs to be done
3: right now in the in the development of the new tools, we have a funding gap of more than two hundred billion us dollars and if you look at donors. They're not so much willing to support that. Should we say we are moving at a good pace? So to me, I'm quite impatient and I'd like to see those things happen now because we still have people who are dying, yet we have drugs going under clinical trials. All the developments in the pipeline, why can't we just bring them out and save those lives of people who are suffering?
0: And obviously some, some people would say certainly for the richer emerging markets like Brazil... And China, they should also be doing more themselves with their resources. But if you take a a much poorer country like Malawi, do you think there's also a case for the government to be able to do more with stretched resources?
3: This issue is also going back to the government as well, because it's under the government's obligation to make sure that all these things are addressed. But then the other resource constrained governments like Malawi, of course, which we cannot push so much because we know there's that gap. Already they do not have funding for all those health programs. So what do we do? We just bring it to the international community. And we need that commitment.
2: And
0: just talking about the, the big technological development that's been high profile in the last few months, gene experts so a way to diagnose much more rapidly and effectively TB, including drug resistance. Do you see that as a great opportunity or are there going to be some big challenges in bringing that into practice in the field
3: big challenges already because just to purchase the the, the tool itself is like it's like seventeen thousand us dollars and how many tools like in malawi do we need we need more than 100 tools what i'm trying to say is that the tool is expensive the test itself is expensive and how many people can afford it that's a question the governments cannot afford it. So already there are challenges.
0: That was Tokazile Firion Koma earlier today. Mike, the FT is publishing this Thursday to mark World TB Day, a big report. One of the things I was highlighting, researching it, was London's continued role as an epicentre, even they call it the TB capital of Western Europe. Pretty striking, isn't it? So long after the discovery of the bacteria in the late 19th century, the development of drugs and vaccines, that this is still a burden in the developed as well as the developing world.
1: Yes, it is indeed. I mean, multi-drug resistance in TB is a real problem, definitely. But I think rapid diagnostic methods, although may not be affordable in developing countries, would certainly help us enormously in the developed world
0: would you draw a parallel with the, the broader challenge of antibiotic resistance more generally and what's happened to this of depletion of effective drugs to treat infection over the past Absolutely. few decades? Absolutely.
1: This is definitely sort of a problem. We have a huge problem. You know, it's certainly a crisis situation where the number of new drugs, new antibiotics in the pipeline has decreased dramatically over the last 20 years. And with antibiotic resistance just continually evolving, then, and the prevalence of these, these antibiotic-resistant organisms increasing dramatically, then we have a real problem.
0: Well, that's all we have time for today. The FT publishes this week a special supplement on tuberculosis, and also this week the Wellcome Trust opens its big dirt exhibition here in London. All that's left for me is to thank my studio guest, Mike Wilson, and also to thank Duncan Jarvis for the BMJ contribution. FT Science is produced by LJ Filotrani. I'm Andrew Jack. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com.